choices. You should have talked to your parents. They were right. This is Talking Chaos. Season 2. Like, it's huge as fuck, man. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Talking Chaos. I hope you guys like the new intro. This is episode one of season two of Talking Chaos. Uh, we've we worked on that intro for like four months. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm really excited that I finally get to release it. Uh, this is officially the 40th episode of the show, uh, which I'm super stoked about. And with me, I have a super, I'm, I'm really excited about this guest. Uh, his name is Chris Churchill. Um, he wrote a book called, uh, 20 years without a weekend off or 20 years without a weekend. Yeah. 20 years without a weekend. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. I'm really excited and nervous cause I've never had an author on the show. No, it's okay. It's cool. Like I, I, uh, and I've never been an author on a show, so that's good. <laughs> that's not true. I shouldn't say that. I, I have been on, on, uh, a friend's show before here in Chicago, uh, for, a couple of things. Um, guy named Justin Kaufman, who runs a, uh, a, or who runs, who's on WGN at night, uh, has had me on a couple times because we're old Second City buddies from years ago. Yeah, and so you're a former tour guide, 21 uh-huh. years on the job for yep. a sh- Chicago Trolley Company, I think. Yeah, they're, they were they, they started off just called Chicago Trolley Company, then they became Chicago Trolley and Double Decker Company, and now. As of the 31st of this year, they are no more. So I did hear about that. They're so going it's, out of business, uh, too. I shouldn't have left. I mean, that things happen. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, ideally, capitalism isn't for everybody. So oh, like that's, that's, <laughs> that's true. And, you know, it's this sort of what goes around comes around kind of thing. We came and, and knocked a couple businesses out of business or knocked them way down. And then, you know, 26 years later, somebody came along and did the same to us. So. So you also write for Literate yeah. Ape, which is yep. a digital magazine. Um, Based I, out of Chicago. I everybody to check that out. I did some research. I read uh-huh. some articles. You're pretty hilarious. Most <laughs> of your um, stuff is uh, Chris Saves the World. Yeah, Chris yeah. Chris Churchill Saves the World. The world. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I started off, uh, in fact, a lot of my articles have sort of been retro titled Chris Churchill Saves the World. Uh, that was uh, over the past maybe eight months kind of thing that I, we changed the name of it. But it's just because, you know, columns seem to garner more attention. Um, but, yeah, I, I tend to write more absurd stuff generally, just silly, weird stuff. But every once in a while I'll throw in some thought-provoking stuff as well. No, I liked it. I liked the overall vibe. Like, you're pretty <laughs> – you're a well-read guy who's got a really – uh, mild sarcastic sense of humor and I, I <laughs> seem to really really enjoy it personally um so you're a filmmaker amateur stand-up comedian and a college professor as it turns I, out I am many things I, uh, I I came to Chicago back in 97 to study like improv and sketch and stuff do the whole second city IO thing like uh, 10,000 other people do every year or dream um, of doing. Or some people don't do. have the balls to do it. This is true. Funny you should say some people don't have the balls to do it because it was after I got testicular cancer and I had a ball removed and I had to have some time off from work that I got to visit Chicago for the first time during the time off. So 
uh, sometimes it does take exactly one ball to move to Chicago. <laughs> you have earned so much more respect from me suddenly with <laughs> willing to admit as much information as you did in the last 60 seconds. <laughs> I, I am an open book, my friend. Um, I, uh, no, I, um, I came uh, to study at Second City and do IO. There was a guy named Del Close. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was sort of like the big improv guru. Uh, he's the one that like trained like Belushi and, and John Candy and Chris Farley and Tina Fey and, and Bill Murray and all those people like that. And everybody who was in like the, into improv and sketch, they all wanted to study with him. So I got up to Chicago uh, and studied with him. I got to study with him about, I was, I was like his second or third to last class before he died. Um, so I, I, I get to tell people that now and they're like, wow, you're old. Um, but I was glad I got, got a chance to do it. You know, it doesn't, when I read, I read about half your book. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to purchase it and read the other half because okay. I enjoy it so thoroughly. But Great. I got awesome. about four days to try to read it before we did this episode. Right. Right. And right. I think half, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm happy with half. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I yeah. didn't want to read the whole thing because I genuinely want to purchase it on Amazon, which cool. I really urge my audience to do. You guys will really love this. Awesome. Uh, but I wanted to, how, when did you start writing this? So I think it probably, I started writing this. Now, there have been several aborted attempts over the years because I think everybody thinks uh, their job is hilarious. I really I mean, love that that's how you use that word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Several aborted attempts on that. But um uh oh that's funny, I guess. <laughs> it took me a second. Um but uh I I didn't really become real confident in the style of writing until I started writing for Literate Eight. Oh, do you hear those sirens going by? Well, I'm calling you from Chicago. Um <laughs> Hey, uh, it's okay. I barely hear them. We'll be okay, cool, like it's, cool. it's, you're totally fine, man. All right, cool. Um, so anyway, uh, I wasn't real confident in that style of writing until I started writing for Literate Ape. Like I got really, I feel like I got really confident writing sort of this essay in short, short form and short story style for, for, uh, Literate Ape. And I realized, okay, now I'll start working on this trolley thing. And, uh, and Literate Ape, there's, they're a really generous, um, magazine. They don't own any of the book. They just kind of put their stamp of approval on it and said, he's one of our writers, you know? And so uh, they just did their best to make sure it kind of looked good and, and, it, and it, it read well and they gave me, you know, advice on stuff. But um, I uh, finally got started writing on this maybe about a year and a half before I quit. And I never actually quit. And I should say that I just stopped working. I just started. Just, started just took working. a hiatus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, uh, "Don't put me on the schedule this week." And uh, okay, and then next week was like, "Not this week either." And then finally, it became like, "Just I'll call you if I need to be put on the schedule again." And you never called them. And I never called them back because I was I was already uh, back to teaching, and then I got admitted into this this MFA filmmaking or documentary uh, filmmaking thing at Northwestern, which was sort of a long shot, uh, you know, shooting for the stars thing for me. And when I got into that, I had to take it. So that between, between teaching and being in school, I don't have time to drive a trolley anymore. And once again, as of the 31st, there is no more trolley company to return to. So. Well, I've got, I've got some questions about that in a bit. We're going to get into some more okay. personal topics, uh, in the second half of the show. Okay. Sure. Um, which I, if, if, audience members want to hear, please go to patreon.com slash talking chaos 
and subscribe to the $10 tier so you can listen to the second half of the show. Uh, I do want to thank our patrons real quick. Uh, the month of uh, December, because I, I haven't had any January, um, like it hasn't gone through yet as of the recording of this. So we're going to do December. Alicia G, Stacy M, Mike S, Chelsea B, and Allie S. We really appreciate you guys' support and you allow this show to happen. Um, without giving too much away, what's the book about to you as the writer? To me, it's about sort of um, celebrating the friendships and the experiences uh, and kind of giving people a glimpse behind the scene of a, a life that maybe people don't think about very much um, or they may wonder about when they're looking at the guy but then never think of it again like huh let's get on this trolley here's the tour guide wow wasn't he great okay let's move on with our lives and uh you know i, I want to let people behind the scenes but it's also kind of about my own personal journey to figure out what i am and to get out of a job that i meant to only be a summer job to begin with it definitely felt like that the second part of what you mentioned yeah. and the other part that I picked up on at least from the half that I read mm -hmm. was the you came out of this box at work you specifically yeah. mention it but you sort of glaze over it okay that, that you'd um had trouble like actually developing work relationships before yeah. this particular job I did. And this sort of opened the box for you. And then the whole choir practice thing, which yeah. I don't want to give away because I really urge the audience to check this book out. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know what we mean by choir practice, go buy the book. Go, go look <laughs> up Chris Churchill on Amazon. Um, the other thing is, how fucking much do you really know about Chicago, man? Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm, I went through this thing and I'm like, holy shit. This feels like a, uh, without bombarding me, it felt uh -huh. like a history lesson on Chicago at the same time. Like you managed to write this like underground history book about Chicago while telling this history about yourself. That's awesome. It was pretty I'm, cool. I'm glad it worked out that way. Cause you know, the thing is when you do that, when you do that type of thing for a living, you forget how much of your brain is hooked into just looking for that information, looking for that type of thing. Like, um, I mean, how I kind of, with, again, without giving too much of the book away, I have two different chapters that are two different versions of the tour, essentially. One is kind of just a, a glazing over just the stops that we would make, like this location, this location, this little historical fact, and a little personal information about, about something that happened at each stop. But then I also do another chapter about, um, it's called, what is it called? The, the tour of celebrities who aren't standing here anymore. And it's just about, because I've been on the job so long and I'm really good at spotting celebrities, how many celebrities I've, I've either met or seen or even just pointed out on the tour to people in between the stops or at, at various stops. And um, the thing is, like, that stuff, all that, all that tour stuff is kind of stuck in here and it, it can't help but probably for years to come be sprinkled in throughout any conversations I have about myself from here on out because it was such a big part of my life for so long, you know? Yeah, but I'm, I'm a nerd, man. Like, <laughs> I just love being nerdy. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I'm the kind of guy that like relentlessly bothers my friends. Like, hey, check out this new fun fact of bullshit that I, learned <laughs> that I have to word bomb it onto you because sure. I don't have any sense of like personal space. Um, <laughs> you and me both, brother. It's, it's just how I roll. Uh, yeah. So like I loved learning about Chicago through you. Yeah. It, it, was, it was super surreal because by the end of this er, – by this the end of the half that i had read yeah i was like it's super weird i feel like i'm going into this interview with this guy and i've learned a shitload about who he is and he doesn't fucking know who i am at all <laughs> that's how that goes man that's that that's the weird thing about people starting to know who you are is that 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 side of it you know well it was, it's you're definitely a relatable guy um the <laughs> book is uh it's it's definitely interesting because and pardon me, okay, I, I don't I'm I don't want to offend you at all, but I got this sense of like bitterness about how your dreams didn't necessarily work out the way that you thought they did. And you just kind of had to figure this out. Yeah, it's it's actually it's sort of a uh it, I, I hope it's sort of a post mortem on that bitterness. Because the older you get and the more you the work closer with you, yeah. I got to the end, it definitely yeah. felt like you'd taken a turn. Like you Yeah. I've uh I've done I've done plenty of therapy. I've also figured out what it is <laughs> I am good at. You and me both, man. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I, and and life is is taking a, a good turn for me these days in terms of like the, the school I'm in and people seem to be really excited about this book, which is really exciting for me. Um, and I also, I, I, I didn't mention this before, but I actually made a, a, a documentary a couple of years ago that has done a lot of, that has done a lot of good, um, as well. Uh, and it's about mental illness. So I just kind of have been having this realization over the last eh, two, three, four years that, you know, you don't always become known or become good at the things you wanted to be known for, or you wanted to be good at. But when you find out you're good at something, sometimes you just need to roll with that and just accept that as the good thing that it is, you know. Um, the older that I am, the more I realize, what, what good would I have been on a show like Saturday Night Live? I, <laughs> I'm, too, I'm, too, I'm too me to do uh, characters. I'm too honest to do politics. I'm too, you know. It, I saw you in the writer's room as I'm I, reading this. Like uh, when I was at the age to do that, I was too out of my mind to have been able to accomplish it. I bet. I just I I think life did the right thing it was supposed to do for me. I, I really that's I a great attitude to have. Either either way, regardless of yeah, uh, if it's true or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you tell yourself what you need to tell yourself too. Right, absolutely, and yeah. I think that that you did a great job with the book. I really urge people to check it out. Uh, it. It was relatable because I've felt like um, this is something, there was a something that I wanted to pursue and it didn't work out. And I had to reconcile with myself like, okay, what now? Am I happier? This seems to work out. Like, all right. (laughs) Um, I think it was the right move. And you entertained in a way, regardless of whether or not you were on SNL, yeah, you were doing it on a much more intimate level with 
20, 40 people in your audience as time, opposed yeah. to 20 million every right. week. Right, right. And um, that's kind of an interesting thing to be able to tell yourself. There are people out there that they, don't, they may not remember me by name. They may not have ever known me by name other than first name or whatever. No, but they but, remember you. But they might remember you. that experience or that Oh, guy yeah. That, There's that no forgetting around, yeah. an experience like that. Yeah. I do want to admit something to you. And I, again, it's going to sound really bad for me to tell you not to be offended two times in a row, but I got to do it. <laughs> I am not the kind of person that would have ever been caught dead on a trolley ride. Neither am I. And you have sort of convinced me to give it a shot. Like, I definitely am more curious about it yeah. than I ever was before. And it was almost this, like, uh, overly cheesy touristy thing in my yeah. head but now i think i have i've definitely been like my eyes are open well and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna admit this to you most of the time the chicago the, most of the time our trolley company and most trolley companies it is an overly cheesy touristy thing unless you um have that the luck of having sort of uh uh just a few people on the trolley and it's the the end of the day and the and the tour guide's tired and and you develop this relationship and you're like, oh, wait, let's just talk. Let's just talk. That's when it becomes a good tour. When it's the summertime and there's 30 people on the trolley and, you know, five of them are kids and 10 of them are grandparents and uh, they're all from uh, places that are scared of Chicago or scared yeah, of the Kansas, big Kansas, Nebraska, yeah. Wyoming. Right, right. You're going you're gonna to cater your tour to them in a much more sort of family-friendly way. And, of course, that becomes very cheesy. Uh, a lot of times, because you have to go for the family-friendly jokes, you have to go for the dumb little jokes, over the top. I get what you mean. Top. But the information is still there. I also, uh, you know, and this is me uh, being a little bit less than humble, but uh, not every tour guide has five, ten, fifteen, twenty years of experience before they they get your tour group. And if you get somebody in the middle of the summer who just got trained at the beginning of summer uh, to be a tour guide. They're going to know the basic information, but once you start going deep with them, they may start making stuff up. They may be at a total loss. They may be confused about what you're asking. So one thing I always, uh, what I would suggest if you're truly interested in taking a, a tour of a city is to seek out, um, you can seek out a tour company and do like a private charter where you rent it yourself, take out your own group. And it's not, if you have enough people, it can actually be cheaper than going out and just buying a ticket the day of. Um, or t there are cities in, in various big cities, there are like tour guide organizations where you can actually hire a tour guide to take you around for the day. And those tour guides, those are the ones that really, really, really know what they're doing. Um, for the most part, I have a friend here in Chicago. She does uh, her name. I'll put a shout out to a woman named Margaret Hicks. She does a tour called underground Chicago or Chicago underground tours or something like that. And it's literally, it's a, a walking tour of all the underground pathways under the downtown oh, area. That would be, I'd love to do that. Yeah. That's right up my funny. alley. She's really funny. She was on an improv team with me 20 years ago. And <laughs> she came to work for us for like five minutes and decided she could do it better on her own. And she's created a booming business. But, but I appreciate you saying that my book makes you feel like the tours would be uh, something you'd, you'd enjoy. It, I got excited about the prospect of it. My as tour would be something like, you'd enjoy. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure, um, because there's there's something relatable about you. For it, like, I don't know if it's 
the job that you had for 20 years or this personality that you had before that but there's probably something relatable both. about you. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, you want my therapist's opinion? It's probably the primitive neglect I experienced as a young child that made me <laughs> do all I can do to make friends with people and try to make people stay in the room. <laughs> oh, so man. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I don't, something about that's hitting a little too close to home on this end, too. <laughs> I understand. It's not, a, not an uncommon thing, unfortunately. Yeah. But that's okay. Not ask why I do a podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, I'm still too young to really want to know the answer to those questions quite yet. Um, yeah. Well, if I ever write a second book on trolley life, I think it's going to be called Driving in Circles, and it's going to tell the uh, the other more surprising side of this life, which was the uh, many occasions that I was in full blown uh, psychiatric crisis while I was on the job or why I would have to leave the job or when I like twice on the job had breakdowns while I was on the job and had to go away for a while, you know, I'll admit something to you because I personally think it's hilarious and mm -hmm. that should also be a testament to how fucked up of an individual I am. Okay. But I was working at a meat factory in, uh, on the West side of Michigan once and uh -huh. I was experiencing some relationship problems. Me and my girlfriend had gotten into a huge argument before uh -huh. my shift and in the middle of Threw my shift, I just start, no, oh. I just start bawling. Oh, sure. For like two and a half hours, I'm racking oh, yeah. meat, just <laughs> crying my eyes out. And oh, no. <laughs> my coworker, Loana, is like, Connor, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you all right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. I'll be, I'll be fine. I think, I think I'll be fine. Right. Yeah, but, I just like have I said, to convince myself, like, the meat doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, all of uh, all the people who received that meat go, man, this meat is really salty. Why is this so salty? And um, a taste of uh, sadness. And <laughs> it really does. That's funny. No, yeah, that, that, would be the next, that would be the next thing if I was to write a second book, which I'm not averse to doing. I have this idea of doing a a three book series based on, on sort of the transitioning out of this life into the next, not into the, the next life. I don't mean like dying, but, um, <laughs> but into the uh, veil. <laughs> right, right. But like the next, the next book would be about, uh, I think I'm going to call it driving in circles about going crazy on, on the job. Like, like you thought, you, you thought your tour guide was fine, but he wasn't. Um, and then doing a third one about birds uh, because, because of the birds that I have, and the birds that uh, kind of, I feel like, kind of saved me after I went crazy. Um, but uh, that's, a, that's another story, I guess. But uh, back to trolley driving. I definitely urge you to keep writing. I really enjoy your style. There's a part of me that is absolutely curious about your first, um, I think it's either a novella or a short story um, that I saw listed on Amazon. Oh, yeah, sure. Ballad of the Small Talker. I feel yeah. like I feel like because of the um, success of of or, you know the apparent success of this this book right now, um, I'm gonna have to go back and look at Ballad of the Small Talker again because I didn't really proof it much and there's spelling errors all over it before I put and, and my my mom read it once and, oh oh Chrissy I, I, it's such a funny it's like sitting with you and listening to you tell the story and all the spelling errors you left in there on purpose I'm like what yeah. That's good. I didn't leave any spelling errors in there on purpose. She was, oh, I thought you were just doing that because the character was right. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, 
No, but if you want to go that way, sure. We'll Glad I'm that. not the only person in the Midwest with an overly supportive mother. <laughs> yeah, 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 but I do like that. I do like that book. And actually, um, while there is a uh, the the physical version of it on Amazon, there's also an audiobook version of it available on Spotify and on iTunes, I think. Um, so if you ever want to just listen to it, you can do that too. Uh, but but definitely, if you want to buy the book, I'm not going to steer you away from that. That's the only way I make money is to buy the book. Audiobook doesn't do anything for me, even though I probably spent more time on that. <laughs> I know. Isn't that ironic, the way the well, industry yeah, works? Yeah, one, so one of the characters in the trolley book, or one of the guys I mentioned briefly, I, I, told, there's, I think you've, you've probably gotten through the chapter where I talk about all the, the interesting people that have worked there that are surprising, like, honest to God, Darth Vader drove for us briefly. Um, not... Not the Darth Vader, not David Prowse, not James Earl Jones, but right. um, but a guy who was in the Darth Vader suit at the end of Revenge of the Sith drove for us. For right. A yep. And, um, uh, and there was there, a couple others in there that were really astounding. Yeah, uh, like Lady Gaga's boyfriend's brother at the time was was mm -hmm. working for us for a few seasons. Uh, not any of her current, like somebody you know from years ago. There was a guy named Luke Carl that she dated for a year, and her and his big brother was a trolley driver for a few years. Now he's a park ranger. But um, he was a good guy. But the, the one I was thinking about is there was one guy who wrote for Saturday Night Live um, who was a tour guide at the trolley company, a guy named Nate Herman. And he only worked there a couple of summers. And during that time, we became friends. And it wasn't until we had worked together a couple of times. I mean, actually, maybe it was just toward the end of the, the first shift we had together. He let me know that he used to write for Saturday Night Live. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. When did you write? He, he wrote during the Eddie Murphy years and all that. And then... Later, yeah, Mr. Became, Robinson's. He wrote, he wrote the Mr. Robinson's neighborhood stuff with Eddie Murphy, and I was like, "That's incredible!" Because that's the Saturday Night Live. I'm old enough. That's the Saturday Night Live I grew up on. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of where I developed my sense of humor. And then I grew up and ended up working with this guy that helped me develop my sense of humor, essentially. Um, but he's the one that does the audiobook version of Ballad of the Small Talker. He's the voice on the on Ballad of the Small Talker. Is the guy that that wrote the Mr. Robinson's neighborhood bits. Wow, that's yeah. really cool, man. A lot, a lot of cool connections. It's fun. Um, and he, he was in National Lampoon. And if you, uh, if, apparently Rolling Stone came out a few years ago with a list of the, seven, or the 25 uh, best bands you've never heard of. It came out about, 20, about five years ago. And a band he was in in the 60s called Wilderness Road was number 17. So like, he's this really odd sort of counterculture underground celebrity here in Chicago. But lives just up the street from me in an overly crowded apartment. Yeah, in, it's crazy to me. Like, okay, you're not originally from Chicago. Mm -mm. You were born where? I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. I was uh, born at Research Medical Center the same week that Harry Truman was dying there. <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, and, um, but I was raised in Kansas City, Kansas, um, uh, in uh, Wyandotte County. And it definitely, you definitely still have this... Uh, there's an air of twang in your voice still. Totally. I never have lost the, the sort of southern Midwest thing, yeah. which is very different from the northern Midwest, like Chicago, right. Wisconsin. I, 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 uh, I yeah. totally sound like a Midwesterner when I'm talking. Absolutely. Um, Nothing wrong with that. I, like, oh, totally happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you seem to know more about the Chicago area than 90% of Chicagoans I've met. Well, that should be the case. I should be uh, better than 99% at this point. Uh, yeah, I have no doubt in my mind. Six months, I'm sure. It's fading since the last time I put on the uniform. But 
uh, it's all still there. Um, it's just that when this is your job and you go around the first day, pardon me, go around the first day and you use up all the information that they gave you and you say it five times, you're like, uh-oh, this job's going to get really painful if I don't learn something new, if I don't start finding new ways to entertain myself every day. So you, you, know, you have the basic information. Then you start going, all right, what else is there to know? Okay, what, what angles can I look at? This? What other types of tours are there? We used to teach us, or we used to, you know, we used to create different tours that we would sell to passengers as private charters. We would do a movie tour. We would do a ghost tour. We would do a, um, uh, you know, different neighborhood tours, that type of thing. Right, and niche tours, the, in a sense. Yeah, and all of those, you had to learn all new information, and you had to look at the city from a different angle. And I mean, some of the best stuff. Oh, a gangster tour was another one too. Although there's a company in Chicago that does that entirely on their own. But um, it's just, it's, it's interesting because the more sort of um, angles you take for learning the information, the, the more in depth your information goes. Like, I mean, I don't know that I could do it now, but there was a time where I could have just switched over to the movie tour. I could have switched over to the gangster tour. I could have, I was not, not I'll, I'll take that back. I was never great at the gangster stuff. And it's probably because I just didn't care. Um, I yeah, didn't I'm with care you. About, it's, yeah, well, I don't, it's hard stuff. for me to relate to that. I knew. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I obviously I knew some of the big names, but some of the guys I worked with were really into it and they could have told you, I mean, they could have told you who Capone's barber right. was, you know. Because they're immersed in that culture. Right. I, I've never been one to to dig on, like, the John Dillinger years of, mm -hmm. yeah, like, that's just not me. Um, yeah. Although, honestly, now, that, like, I found exactly the, where John Dillinger supposedly was shot in Chicago and tell you all about the the conspiracy theories about people that believe that it wasn't John Dillinger that was killed at the Biograph Theater in Chicago. So um there's actually oh there were people that yeah. that think that he lived after that and like just disappeared okay yeah there are people that, that that think that there was a a person who was set up to be sort of a a decoy john dillinger that used to go around and and, and kind of throw off the his scent you know in various yeah, situations yeah. and the that trail. night at the biograph theater the guy that was killed there supposedly had different eyes in the autopsy, different eye color in the autopsy than John Dillinger had. And also there was a, a scar on Dillinger's face that wasn't listed in the autopsy, apparently, or a scar, a scar on Dillinger's body somewhere um, that wasn't listed on the autopsy of whoever it was they actually killed. Um, so there is, you know, while that could have all just been overlooked, could have been mistakes, whatever, there's plenty of conspiracy types who are like, nah, John Dillinger wasn't killed at the Biograph Theater that night. That just didn't happen, you know. But it's like those types of things. You go really deep after being a tour guide for years. You go really deep with your friends and with other tour guides, other Chicago experts. And next thing you know, you're at the bar trying to stump each other on Chicago information or going, right. hey, did you know the story about blah, 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 blah? You know, did you know why the, Chicago, the, the, the Congress Theater is haunted? Did you know who the performer was at the Chicago Theater on the night it opened back in 1921? Do you know blah, blah, blah? And you just go into that stuff, you know, and it's, it's, it's nerdy. As I thought be. I knew shit about Chicago before I read this book. And now afterward, I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> like I've heard a cheap trick. I've been to Chicago a handful of times. I'm not going to fucking try to contend with you. <laughs> There's no way. Cheap tricks from cheap trick is from Rockford, Illinois. Um, and, but uh, Rick Nielsen, I think it's Rick Nielsen, the, the guitar player. 
uh, with the, he has a pizza place in Chicago called Peace, as in, uh, but it, it's spelled like piece of pizza, but it's, P-I-E-C-E, but, it, but the symbol is like a pie cut, like a pizza cut into three pieces to look like the peace symbol. So it's a really clever genius. design. He's yeah, he's genius. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's in Wicker Park, uh, and that's great pizza. I'm trying to figure out my birthday's in two days, and I'm trying to figure out where I want to go to dinner. That may be where we end up going. Happy birthday, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, How but, old are yeah. you going to be? Oh, I'm going to be 47. I have, are you lying? Uh, huh? No, are you I'm lying. I'm, I'm not lying at all. I know I look young on the on here. You but, do. Uh, you definitely look a lot younger than forty-seven. Yeah, I I, I don't know what that why that happens, but uh, don't complain. It, it sounds no, like I, you're complaining. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it's funny. Like uh, one of the characters in the book, a guy named Reggie. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten any stories about Reggie yep. Jackson on the tour yet, but Reggie. Um, you seem to be a big fan of Reggie Jackson. I am a big fan of Charlie Driver, Reggie Jackson. We just talked on the phone the other day. Uh, he is 51 and looks like he's 14. Like he, he just is, uh, I mean, he looks like a kid still. And I don't know, I think maybe it's something that pre-selects for this line of work, but we just don't, we're, we're a group of people that don't like stress that lasts longer than a couple hours. If it's a, a long, I, I feel like it's the long, uh, like you have to, you have a long project at work that's going to, you know, affect you for the rest of your life if you don't do it right. And then another one comes along, another one comes along. I think it's that type of stress that makes people get old quick. Um, it's also, uh, I was never much of a drinker or uh, never never smoked, never did anything, any illegal substances. Uh, and that's not because I'm like against all that stuff. It's just that I was terrified of that stuff when I was a kid. I was afraid of getting in trouble when I was a kid. But as a result, like I, uh, I became a much bigger fan of just getting enough sleep at night. <laughs> I'm definitely a fan of the counterculture. Uh, <laughs> those who follow the show know that I'm not uh, necessarily, uh, I'm pro it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing. I have nothing. My, my, my best, one of my best friends in the world is a, is a sound guy, works in the movies. Uh, I, his family even took me in for a while when I was a, when I was a kid. And he's the uh, biggest sort of mind expansion. Let's figure out. Let's go find some ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and go sit with a shaman kind of guy. I'm terrified of ayahuasca. I'm not going to touch ayahuasca. I just now, smoke some herb and I take some naps. And that's all I, yeah, I'm totally fine. Um, yeah, I, I got no problem with any of that. And the thing is, I wouldn't have, I, I, I wouldn't have been against doing that stuff except for every job I had from the time I was out of high school was drug test. I worked at the Federal Reserve Bank before I drove a trolley and it's been drug tests all the way through. Now that I'm free of that, uh, you know, I, I can hook you up, man. You, you should definitely experiment. And, 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 and as of January 1st, it's going to be legal in Illinois. So, uh, you know. Oh, congratulations. That's super <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. One of my favorite comedians does a bit about, like, I'm uh, I'm going to do some crazy shit when I'm 70. Like, I, I, okay. if I make it to 70, I'm going to try heroin. Oh, like, okay. Because that's when you want to try it. Like, <laughs> can you imagine your relatives? Oh, he was such a trip. He's good. He's totally fine. Like, <laughs> he went out with a bang. That's when you want to take a nap anyway, you know. You can sleep your way out. That's fine. I um, think that's a really morbid sense of humor when it, it comes to all of that. But it, I, It's crazy I, to me. Like, like another, it's another thing about driving around in Chicago. You're talking about heroin. Um, you, 
you're doing the tours and you have to figure out a way to navigate around the idea that uh, now the entire tour group is looking to the right at a homeless guy who's leaning really far forward and keeps waking up and, and just standing there on the street because he's just like lost in it, you know? And the first time I ever got hustled, I was mm -hmm. in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> How'd you get hustled? I, uh, I think it was the first time I went there. Mm -hmm. I, I was on spring break. I was about 20, 21 years old, maybe 22. Okay. And I'm walking down the street downtown. I couldn't tell you where I was, but I know that I, was, I wasn't on Michigan. Was it the shoe polish um, guy? No, no, but it was one I of the newspaper guys. Oh, okay. They're selling oh, newspapers streetwise. to yeah. try to make money. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I told him I can give him a couple bucks. But when yeah. I opened my wallet, he's like, you can give me a lot more. Come on, man. And uh, <laughs> I just gave in and yeah. couldn't defend myself. Yeah. Uh, but I've since then made rules to try to sure. deal with homeless people. There are, um, there's restrictions that I put on what I'm allowed to do to help them and how I'm allowed to help them. Yeah, I, I set up a rule for myself when I, was, when I was driving downtown. Whenever I was in uniform, if I was downtown, uh, this was for years. I, I gave in on this eventually, but for a while there, I, I, whenever somebody asked for me for money when I was on the job, I would just tell them, never when I'm on the job. And they didn't understand why, but the reason why I wouldn't is because I'm an obvious target and I would end up being swarmed at literally like, like, uh, oh, you got more than that. Oh, oh, you, oh, you know what? Um, I don't just need a coffee. I also need this. Oh, you know what? Can I get 10 more dollars for, and so it just kind of, and it's not that I don't think these folks need help and it's not that I'm judging them on why they need help because I do not judge people on why they need help, um, at all but it's just a matter of just kind of putting up a barrier for yourself. I remember before I ever drove a trolley, when I first moved, moved to Chicago, when I was 24, um, and I was working at the Federal Reserve Bank, and I decided one day that instead of taking the train from downtown to Wrigleyville, where my classes at Improv Olympic, now IO, uh, were located at the time, um, that I would walk. I would save myself the, the $2 uh, for the train. It cost me more to walk. <laughs> <laughs> because I just kept bumping into people that needed money. I was like, all right, okay, hey, sure. You fine. got a cigarette, man? You got right. a couple quarters or something? Exactly, everything. And so I decided after that, it was just easier to take the train, you know? Um, and uh, it, I always love the L. Every time I've been on the L, it's, there's, I have this thing about public transport. Uh -huh. I love it. I'm a huge oh, fan. Yeah. Um, sure. Go to Grand Rapids, I ride the bus. If I'm in okay. Detroit, I'm on the people mover. If cool. I go to Chicago, I'm absolutely going to ride the L at some point, absolutely. even if yeah. it's two two blocks. Sure. I'll spend the $2 to ride it two blocks if yeah. it means it's the only time I'm going to be able to get on it. Sure. Because I just have this this thing. Yeah. I have to, to do it. You kind of romanticize um, it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I dated a girl who lived in Chicago while I lived in Michigan for okay. maybe three months. Okay. And I, I went down there several times to okay. visit her and she was in a dorm in uh, downtown where the okay. hostel used to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. The hostel's still down there off of the, yeah, it's right there in the loop, right there in the Southwest corner. Yeah. Yeah. Corner South loop. loop. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I met her when I stayed at the hostel once mm -hmm. and she was like upstairs in the dorms of the same building. Okay. And okay. her, what is it, PA, RA, RA, RA residence yeah, assistant. Yeah. Oh, she was a student. Her RA got pissed because of how often I would stay at her dorm. 
Oh, so sure. I ended up sleeping in Millennium Park for three nights. <laughs> well, just to like get the yeah. RA off my ass. Yeah, yeah. But I got woke up a bunch. Like they don't they don't really like you doing that. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean technically the park's closed at eleven in Chicago and it's so that it doesn't become like overrun by like squatters and homeless folks and stuff like that. Um I mean that's part of the that's part of the the history of the lakefront in Chicago is that they were afraid back around nineteen hundred. Uh, the way the city is laid out is uh, Michigan Avenue downtown. You'll notice there are no no private buildings east of Michigan Avenue. It's just the way it's set up. And all the buildings west of Michigan Avenue at, at this little stretch, you know, around by the Art Institute and that area, it's called the Michigan Avenue Cliff. And back around 1900, one of those buildings was the office of Montgomery Ward, Aaron Montgomery Ward, the great store owner. Um, and he would have people, he would invite people to come visit him at his office and people would stop coming or say they were really terrified to come meet him there because on the lakefront there, after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, all this rubble had been tossed into the lake and they were building more stuff there, but it was kind of a mess still by around 1900. They hadn't completed all the construction and a lot of people had started setting up little shanty towns and, and little uh, shacks and tents everywhere. And so it became kind of a weird place for people to come visit. Uh, and so Montgomery Ward started suing the city to... Uh, to make sure that no um, permanent structures, private permanent structures would be built on that lakefront, but also to try and eliminate that type of thing to the shantytown type thing. And I guess probably as a corollary to that, that's probably where the park rules here in Chicago. And also probably as a way to fight crime a little bit, uh, say the parks are only open from six to 11, but I've been to cities where the, the parks are 24 hours and it's outstanding, but I also kind of get it, you know? Yeah, there's a, when I lived in Grand Rapids, uh, it's almost every night around dusk, all the parks start to fill with homeless people or sure. vagrants. Yeah. And then as soon as dawn hits, they get up and leave. Yeah. And it's and like the homeless know the parks for the daytime are for kids and families. So sure. we got to, we got to go like, yeah. and they don't get hustled because they've sort of understood what the rules are and yeah. everybody else doesn't mess with them because like they don't right. have anywhere else to sleep right but they don't hang out either so yeah. whatever it's kind of that it was a very interesting yeah. understanding that was going on in that particular part of the city it's it's weird in chicago in that regard because like everybody knows that like the homeless people set up little camps here and there like in lower wacker drive i don't know if you know about lower wacker drive but it's like uh so downtown there's the the street that wacker drive that curves along with the river and it's a, it's a double-decker and sometimes three-level street. Uh, it's where they filmed the car chase scene from the beginning of The Dark Knight with the Joker. Yep, well, okay. That, that whole area down there uh, has had periods where it is just, it is where the homeless people live. And you'll see tents and little tent cities not far away from where you can see. And there have been a couple of times in, in Chicago history, in, just in the 22 years I've been in Chicago, where whoever the mayor is at the time has said, well, we're clearing out that Wacker Drive. We're clearing it out. Everybody's got to go. And it's like, okay, I, I get that you're trying to make the tourist area nicer so we can get more tourism and everything, and that's great for the city and, and the whole, but also, where's everybody going to go? Where are these people going to go? And, um, I mean, they do figure out places to go, and there are places, under, like, you figure out places where the homeless folks go. You'll see, you know, little encampments by the river, little encampments by a highway on-ramp. Um, there's a place at, like, Roosevelt uh, Road by the highway where you just have, like, 20 tents lined up. And they're not asking for anything. That's just where they are, you know. Uh, they're not. They're not hurting anybody. They're not asking anybody for anything. As far yeah, as nobody wants to live there. 
yeah. live there because they don't have any other options. Right, right, right. And so it's like you don't want to push too hard against the homeless folks because where you know they have a right to exist somewhere. It, mm -hmm. It's like once you push them out of every place, it's like, well, what can they do? You know, they can't disappear unless you want to give them a home. I uh, I have more questions for you, but they're going to get a little bit more on the personal side. So we're going to save that for the second half of the show. Okay. Um, I am. We've we've basically been talking for like forty five minutes. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to call it good for this portion of the show. Sounds good. Uh, Chris and I are going to take for about, you though, real quick. Go ahead. Your favorite chapter so far, or your favorite story um, so far. I really liked listening to you talk about, uh, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Is it Kochner or Kochner? Oh, David Kochner. Kochner, the, the actor that, that, that was champ kind in, in yeah. Anchorman. Yeah. That kind of blew my mind. I was yeah. like, wow. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy because like, uh, it's just part of being in that whole improv thing is like you end up getting to know people or, or I don't even know him, meeting people briefly. Meeting uh, him, right? Yeah, that yeah. was I, a say, huge. I will not make any claim to knowing him. I, I met him a couple of times, um, and it was one of the most influential moments in my life. And everyone I've ever heard of who has met him or who knows him since then says that he is one of the most positive, like invigorating, encouraging people in the world. I've and never had the opportunity to, to Chicago. You know? Yeah, that's huh? that's why I liked it. Yeah. Is because it seemed to be the driving force that propelled you to this, uh, yeah, this, this trajectory, kind this. of wondrous place, like yeah. Oz, in a sense. Like, oh God, you said Oz, and you said wondrous place, and you know, The Wizard of Oz was written in Chicago, and it was written about Chicago. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I so, didn't know that. So I don't know. I, how about this for your? How about this for your non-paying people, and then we can do all the personal stuff for your paying people. Uh, your Patreon people and you non-Patreon people better get there to Patreon. But um, I almost said Star Wars. Um, Wizard of Oz uh, was written by a journalist here in Chicago named L. Frank Baum, um, and he was covering the 1893 World's Fair, which was held in Hyde Park. That's on the far south side, or not the far south, but the south side of Chicago. At the time, it was as far south as you could go in Chicago. Um, and... Um, the, the World's Fair was held in the fairground they referred to as the White City. Uh, not, it wasn't like a racist thing. It was a White City as in it was all simulated marble. It was all supposed to look like an old ancient Greek temple area type thing. That's what the whole World's Fair was supposed to look like. So it was this amazing thing. I think like something like 27 million people came to visit Chicago that summer um, and just blew, blew people away. Nobody thought Chicago could do it. It was a, an amazing World's Fair. Anyway, uh, L. Frank Baum said later that uh, when he wrote The Wizard of Oz, that it was basically about Chicago and kind of about the World's Fair. He said, because here was Chicago, this amazing place with all these, you know, wonders to behold and everything like that, but that it was also really corrupt once you got out of the, uh, the, the World's Fair area, once you traveled into the city, um, and that um, there were, um, you know, corrupt politicians and corrupt businesses, and it was a really, could be a dangerous pl place for a lot of people. He said, but if you used your brain, your heart, and your courage, even somebody from Kansas could find a home there. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like a, a, yeah, a really like simplistic way of saying what he said, but it's basically what he said about the story. Um, the Emerald City was basically the World's Fair. It was basically the White City. It was basically where, and um, 
it was this amazing place. It was this thing that lures you to Chicago was what we showed the world in 1893. But then right, you get, but once you like, got like, there, you, you saw behind the veil and you're right. sort of like, ah, all right. But if you want to make yourself stronger and better, you can do some amazing things here because look at what is done in Chicago by the people who make it. You know? I think that's definitely what you've done through 20 years without a weekend. I appreciate that. So um, I implore my audience to check it out. And again, if you want to hear the rest of um, my interview with Chris Churchill, please go to patreon.com slash talking chaos and subscribe to the $10 tier. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking with me for a second, Chris. And uh, I'll be right back with you in just a few minutes. Sounds good. Thank you.